0: Hi! Hi! Welcome back. I'm in a good mood today.
1: Oh, good! I'm
0: in a Very good mood today because maybe because I've 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 only had coffee to drink all day long.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's your it's your ideal day. Now, well, and like we're we're having a, my favorite kind of day, which is a seamless handoff from coffee to wine, a coffee wine day, um, or alcohol of any kind, which is great. Hey, this is Amrita and Andrew. We're on a podcast journey to find our way through freelance life. If you're thinking about taking a leap off the beaten path in any part of your life, our totally inexpert advice is, don't think twice. Um, so tell me about some of the things you wanted to yeah, catch Yeah, so, on.
0: you know, I try to keep notes these days to tell you things. Um, although when we see each other, usually tell you the most interesting things. <laughs> so my list is like pretty sad. But, oh gosh, um, well. But there are a few things I learned. Like this week... And I'm not joking you. I I figured out that Harry Connick Jr. and Jerry O'Connell are actually two different people.
1: Oh wow! This I, is a landmark week for yeah, you. I never... Wait, hang on. Let me let me think about that for a minute. Jerry O'Connell mm-hmm. married to Rebecca R- Romaine. Yeah, or state Yeah, I was about Romaine. to say Stamos, yeah. but yeah. Romaine. Yeah yes and Harry Connick Jr Harry Connick Jr actually has a talk show which I just recently learned this is I how I figured like out that Harry, Harry Connick, Connick Jr is different than Jerry O'Connell and his talk show I, is absurd I thought Harry Connick Jr was
0: Harry Connick Jr when he sang jazz and then he was Jerry O'Connell when he was acting wait no you didn't but it turns out they're two different
1: people. <laughs> this takes white man face blindness to like a new and shocking level. And I I really want to do like a face, like a side by side, like comparison of the two, just so that you can be assured that they don't look alike I actually like
0: Jerry O'Connell and Harry Connick Jr. as people. There's something
1: actually also similar about the, maybe it's the Connick and Connell or mm. something, but there's something about it that seems like you could make a portmanteau of both of their names and then they could just be like one unholy, like just person (laughs) cheery
0: Uh, that's kind of like when i'm really um, glad you figured out that that leah remini wasn't the star of uh, the cutting edge
1: you know what i actually had that revelation also
0: this is the same kind of thing
1: yeah and it was as an uh, like as an adult not too long ago maybe we had this revelation together but this was this was like a serious moment of like like you know realization for me. Yeah, I had to rethink That's my That's such a great childhood. movie. It's
0: a really good movie. I gotta revisit that. There's
1: actually, there's a TV show that is like some sort of, I don't know exactly what it is, mm-hmm. but there's a TV show that, um, when you're going through the guide on cable, like, it always comes up as, like, it's called The Cutting Edge, and then I always think just for a moment that it's gonna be that movie, and then I'm like, always disappointed <laughs> that it's like something about like it stocks or Stupid, something. Yeah. Like Yeah.
0: Yesterday I was trying to get out of the house and, um, uh, Bring It On was on. And if I see a, a movie like Bring It On or Dirty Dancing or something like that on the, just like on the guide, TV guide, I can resist it because I know what it is and like I have to get out of the yes. house. But it's different if this channel is it's on. It's on there. Yeah, you can Yeah. It's like a. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, I was late to leave the house because I just couldn't turn my And then my you eyes were just away. paralyzed. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. absolutely. No, so there's a, the case of mistaken identity with the cut. So yes, those are certain movies. Those are the three you named actually. <laughs> pretty solidly will never ever ever be able to not watch them when they're on TV but um, so the the cutting edge is one I always think is on TV that's not yes there's another one Center Stage there's some sort of show called Center Center Stage Stage. that's never actually the movie Center Stage but I always want it to be Um, and then the other one is something that is that I invented which is that there's this show it's called American Pickers and in my mind I want it to be yes I want it to be about banjo players and Every time I see it on there I'm like, "Oh, yes, this sounds great. I totally want to watch banjo players." And then it turns out that it's um it's like about uh like like, like secondhand scrap. stores. Yeah, like people who go through Junk like people. um through storage lockers yeah. and like sell stuff and it's such a disappointment. It's a fresh disappointment <laughs> every time. <laughs> um what else um so
0: um for anyone who cares Mm -hmm. anyone who's listening um just know that i'm in a a good spot um employment wise right now oh great just want to say that yeah
1: you know we've been following along with bated breath your employment um (laughs) unemployment uh Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, I've been doing no, stuff no, here No, no, I mean, seriously. There, yeah. Yeah, because uh, it's, it's kind of exciting. And, and Yeah, no, it's, um, I'm in a good space, and that's, that's all I need to say about well, that. Well, I just,
1: I just think it's, like, it's something that I was really scared of, like, going into, like, quitting my full-time job, was mm-hmm. just the idea of, like, what's gonna happen if I'm ever in a position where it's, like, I don't know where my rent is gonna come from, like, how will I manage that? And, you know, it really, like, something will come up something will come up and that seems to be how it was for you and you kind of just like waited it out and weren't stressed out about it at all and
0: yeah so i just so you know everyone can now sleep better (laughs) than they have been
1: that's great well congrats that's (laughs) awesome thank you um first of many more um exciting professional ventures i'm sure in the coming year first of many um so I was going to tell you something oh, please. about um, a show that I went to. A real live the, show. A live show. Um, a performance. Okay. That caused me to realize something about myself. Continue. <laughs> this is like less dramatic than you think it is. Oh. So I went to the show. It was. Did you burp all the way um, through it? No, God. <laughs> 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 you really want my, like, big personal revelation <laughs> to be that I'm a burpier person than I ever I'm have sorry, acknowledged. It's rude. Yeah, totally rude. Just, <laughs> you know? Um, so, uh, no. I went to the show. It was a, a friend of ours who um, was doing a one-man show. And, you know, I I, th- I told you a little bit about the content of the show. It, it's really not important. This is not. It has nothing to do with him. And it has nothing to do with the content of the show. But there was a component to the show that involved, um, like, calling somebody up from the audience. And he just identified a person that initially, like, I was like, oh, was this Mm prearranged? Did they talk about this in advance? Um, Because the guy handled it really, really, really well. He was like, hey, you, like, come up here. Read this, read this letter. So it just got me thinking about audience participation, Mm. which I know is something that neither of us Mm -hmm. prefers. But... Um, for me, it, this was a moment where I realized that I don't just dislike it, but I think I might actually have a phobia of audience participation because-
0: For yourself or other people? Just the whole... generally
1: the whole concept of it because I spent like the rest of the show, like-
0: Stress, Stressed, Stressed
1: out that it was going to happen again. It probably smelled like onions. <laughs> My stress sweat does smell like onions. Yeah, everyone's does. Oh man. Oh okay. I, I thought you were calling me out. Yeah. No. The other day, again. someone
0: was stress sweating, and they're like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm not going to stand too close to you, because um, my sweat stinks." Um, and uh, and her sweat really did stink. But, but um, but I, because I was like, "No, you're fine. You don't smell at all." But she really smelled like onions.
1: This is a stranger. No. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I, I was at the show. I was super stressed about the whole situation. Um, for like the entire rest of the show, it was like sort of a, a low-level buzz in the back Because you didn't know when it was going to happen again. Yeah, I, I just was poised that it might happen again and that it might happen to me. Um, and of course, it didn't happen again for the rest of the, the night, but I was like living on the edge the entire time. So I guess it, like, it made me realize that I don't really have a good attitude about it, even... Like, I can't really roll with it. It turns out I have a phobia.
0: Yeah. Um, I hate it, too. So... I mean, I think
1: most... I don't think most people enjoy it. But there's... I really... Like, I was just thinking about it. I was like, what's the level at which I, I can engage with it and it's okay? Like, I don't even like it when it's, like, you, the audience is encouraged to, like, repeat back something or, like... Right. Um, or, like, even, like, sing along. Unless it's, like, really... Like, if I'm, like... if I If, like, the Holy Spirit has entered me and i'm really feeling it yeah like i will be ready to testify and i will sing your, along with your your yeah. chorus but i just i feel so awkward about being asked to participate in that so
0: event. i think uh i think you just got to decide right if you're the if you're the person who's picked which uh i'm a very stubborn person so when this has happened to me in the past i just totally refused to participate mm-hmm. which uh really just kills everyone's vibe
1: Yes. So yeah, for yeah. the sake
0: of like everyone else's time, you just have to lean into it.
1: So if you if you think about it as more of a public service yeah. than anything else, because
0: you don't you would never want to if he had picked you in the performance, you wouldn't want to ruin his performance by or no. draw mm-hmm. attention to yourself by being however you know feeling like you didn't want to participate. But right. really, that's like more of a a selfish response. If
1: you think no, about you're it. right. You're right. So
0: then, then you just gotta like participate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, okay, so I've actually seen you subjected to uh, one particular moment of audience participation um, which I just want to highlight just for a moment because I think it was one of the worst that I've seen happen because of the circumstances around it. You you look like you don't even know what I'm about to I say. I
0: think this is uh this is back Yes, it was
1: very early in our ago. relationship. I mean, I didn't even really know you. Yeah. But what happened was there was a particularly prominent cabaret performer that was represented by the agency that you and I both worked for. We went to the show, and you were sitting at a table with, like, all your bosses and, Mm -hmm. like, some of our other coworkers. And I was there, but I was actually somehow, for some reason, I was at a separate
0: Different table. Like, yeah, I
1: was at a different table, whether I was there by myself or, like, somehow, like, wasn't able to be at, like, the company, like, table. Yeah, yeah. And this cabaret person, like, basically singled you out, as she did with some of the other people, and it basically involved her, like, literally sitting on your face. She sat on my face. Like, putting her her crotch directly on your face. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: could smell the detergent that she used.
1: (laughs) To wash her cat suit. (laughs) And to me, that was a moment of just like, this is the absolute worst because you have to, again, I think you were probably trying to be sort of be a good sport about it. Yeah. But it's both like humiliating and you're also sitting at the table with like a bunch of people that you don't like, but that you have to work with. Every day. Every day.
0: With a client. She has a client that you have to like be nice to.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah, that was pretty right. Right. It was work related. So you couldn't just be like, please, please remove your... Your vagina was yeah. in my
0: face for like an extended period of time. An extended period of time. It was actually quite She sang like, a song on It was top a whole
1: song. It was a. it was an entire number. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's flooding back to me. Yeah, to like,
1: I can see the trauma, the trauma in your in eyes. eyes.
0: <laughs> that was pretty bad. But but yeah, I think I think you and I and people who are scared of participation just need to enter those places and just like be prepared to just participate, even if, uh, you know, we'd rather be anywhere else on Earth. But to think about it as not ruining everyone else's night. Right, yeah. Instead of anything else. More of an
1: altruist, appealing to yeah. our better natures, basically. Yeah, no, that's good advice. Um, I also have one other thing that I wanted to ask you about. Mm-hmm. Um, which is your experience with using the the ice skating rink.
0: Oh my god, I love it. So uh in Brooklyn's Prospect Park they have an ice skating rink that transforms into a roller rink in the summertime. So anyone in Brooklyn, if you like skating or roller skating, highly recommend. The prices are good, mm-hmm. the facility is great.
1: Yeah, and it's actually brand new, so it's really.
0: There's it's a cafe crazy. attached. Um, it's indoor. It's like all outdoor. the nostalgia
1: of like the skate world experience of our yeah. of being in like a sixth grader in you know nineteen. but designed
0: as if some someone in Brooklyn designed it. Yeah, you know? yeah, and, 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 new, it, and new and clean and doesn't smell like a foot. A good sound system and it looks out over um, the lake of Prospect Park. It's very nice. And so, uh, in the in the winter time with the skating rink, they have an indoor well a covered skating rink and then it's connected to an outdoor skating rink. And this past week. I've been wanting to go for the past couple of months, but this past week, I just, I just had the sun was shining; it was a beautiful day, <laughs> and I just, I just uh, walked past the rink, and there were, I don't know, four people there in these very large rinks, and I, I paid my money, I got my shoes, and for two wonderful hours, I just like skated in circles, and I'm here to tell you that one, I'm a natural, <laughs> and. Uh, two i need to look into lessons mm-hmm. adult a coach. lessons yeah mm-hmm. i need to.
1: like a russian coach I'm, preferably so you know breaker. i don't
0: want to throw it out there too early but i'm just saying that i'm toying with
1: olympics 2035 yeah six or whatever. i w- yeah.
0: I, w- I, w- I maybe i want to be the oldest male figure skater mm-hmm. well figure skater um ever in the
1: olympics
0: (laughs) i don't feel like i'm really fascinated
1: by your desire to take this on as like an adult hobby not because i i think it's a bad idea i think it's a great idea but i just think it's one of it's like it's not like a normal path to like a a new hobby i'm even like a sport related thing like generally if it's like oh i'm gonna like take up tennis or something Mm -hmm. you know a lot of people our age but um another thing that you're actually quite good at by the way but um But like it's like like ballet and like skating and like um, there's just certain things where it it seems it's just like less conventional to like take that up as a 32 year old. But I'm I'm thrilled. I think that's awesome. Well,
0: you're hearing it here first.
1: Mm-hmm. So I see so what you, you you were did you work on any like trying to have your feet leave so the ice at I was all?
0: trying to I was for first I was just trying to like have a nice smooth corners and arms. Mm-hmm. I was putting my arms out. Mm-hmm um and I'm then dying. I, and then I tried to skate backwards but I need some help with that uh because I was watching some like eight-year-old girl who clearly had had a couple lessons skate backwards, <laughs> and I was just trying to emulate her mm-hmm. uh you should have asked to for not her very help. much success and then uh and then some sort of ice skating instructor near the end of the time that I was there he came on the ice and uh he was spinning and um that just I can't I couldn't uh, wrap, wrap my yeah. mind around how to do that
1: i also think there's probably some prep that you would need to do off the rink before you just like kind of went for it on the ice i don't know that's just yeah my, my feeling. i mean right.
0: i was also in in rental skates which are <gasps> hockey skates so they don't have the toe pick oh,
1: toe pick <laughs> it comes back to the cutting edge
0: so i've also looked into into buying my own pair of skates mm-hmm. Um, which I know I will do at one point.
1: That's amazing. I love this, and I will be closely following this so, journey. <laughs>
0: yeah. So I also want to investigate if there are, any, are there any like, you know, older categories that you can skate like competitively.
1: You know what? I have to have to imagine like a seniors that
0: division, like seniors golf. Why isn't there like a seniors? I'm sure division. there is.
1: I'm sure there is. We'll have to look into it, and I'm sure that the field of competition is narrow, and that you're gonna crush it. Thank you. I mean, not that that's the intent, uh, <laughs> but but I'm, I'm no. Excited so for you.
0: um, so yeah. So I'm I'm gonna. I'll come I'm, and throw a teddy bear on the ice more. for you. Thank you. I'm gonna figure <laughs> out how to do it, and uh, just for fun, uh, but then also, you know, I just want to investigate my family tree to see if I'm related to anyone in any other country that has no ice skating presence. Because that's my only hope of going to the oh, Olympics. Totally. I can't be an American yeah, going. Totally. But like.
1: Like if you have somebody back there who is like from like Togo or something. I like, that's what I'm saying. Yeah.
0: Because I know that when you look at me, you think Togo.
1: I mean, I, I, that was just the first word <laughs> that came to my mind. <laughs> I'm bad with geography, but there has as to be, you know.
0: Yeah, there has a so some
1: some countries. Our guest on this episode is friend of the show, Lola Milholland, an all-around brilliant woman and current noodle entrepreneur based in Portland, Oregon. I'm so happy that this is working out. This is our very first long-distance interview that we've ever done, mm-hmm. so this is exciting. Let's, yeah, no
0: kidding. Let's jump right in if you don't mind. So, Lola, I know I met you briefly, briefly, I don't know if you remember, in 2014, when Amrita and I decided to, to drive across the country. Um, oh, of, course. of course. Yes. And so it's very nice to speak with you again. And um, it seems like since then and now, um, a lot has happened in your life. There have been a lot of big changes, including uh, what you just mentioned you were working on, which is your own company. And so... If you don't mind, I would love to hear a little bit about what it is, what it's called, what it is, how it's going.
1: Yeah, and how you decided to start it. I don't know. Just any sort of Genesis stories.
2: Totally. You bet. Um, Okay. So the business is called UMI Organic. That's U-M-I, Organic. UMI means ocean. Um, And the name came to me through a combination of kind of inspirations. One is the idea of um, the connection between Portland or the West Coast rather of the United States and Japan through the Pacific um, and the way that the winds have traveled and, you know. um, Trade winds. The way that, yeah, all of that. So that's one. And then the other was that I met a Black Panther named Umi and I heard his name and I loved the word. I love that. So, So that was kind of the inspiration for that name. So we started the business in 2015 in terms of getting the trademark for the name and then actually started doing business in 2016. So you guys were about um, a year early from when I jumped in to do this, but it had been percolating within me for a long time. Um, I studied Japanese since I was five in the Portland public schools and traveled to Japan a lot and was really interested in Japanese food culture. And when Amrita and I went to college, I actually studied Japanese And my focus was on Japanese cultural history. Right, and And actually she wrote a um, thesis on Kobe beef. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was obsessed with Japanese beef. Not eating it so much, although that is delicious, but like what it means as a symbol, how the industry developed, how art and um, like, you know, politics, have used it um, as a totem, that kind of stuff. So anyway, I got a job after college. Andrew has such an interested
1: face right now, so maybe send us a copy
2: later. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good one, I guess. So anyway, I was working for a nonprofit for a really long time and um, after college, got a job there immediately after college. The economy crashed and I held on tight. Um, (laughs) And the job was at a a place called Ecotrust and our focus was uh, regional economies, especially economies that are, on the land. How can people make a better living um than they often do while, you know, treating natural resources well and, you know, building long-term um economic, I don't know, roots in their communities. So my focus was on farmers, food and farmers. Um, but I always was thinking about Japanese food and Japan. I mean, I had studied it for so long, it was such a passion. I wrote for a magazine for a while and my editor would always joke that I snuck like Japan into every story somewhere. <laughs> So, you know, and in my free time, and I was this is, making this a lot is for Edible <laughs> Portland, right? By the way, that you wrote for? Yeah. 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 Ecotrust was publishing Edible Portland. Okay. Um, I, yeah, so at home, I was making a lot of Japanese food. I started trying to make ramen noodles. Um, I'd eaten amazing ramen in Japan. And now, you know, ramen is really a phenomena here, but it, it wasn't at that time. So I was trying to make my own ramen noodles that replicated what I could get in Japan. And I had a friend... Um, his mom, I've known him since I was a little kid. We played Japanese together. His mom knew, knew that I was doing that. And she recommended I take this, um, ramen making workshop. And, um, it was a thousand dollars is one of the leading noodle scientists in the world. Um,
1: they Noodle it scientist. Course. Hang on. By the way, is by far the best job title that I maybe have ever heard
2: in oh, my life. And he, I think he might have one of the greatest jobs of all time. <laughs> uh all this machinery you wouldn't even imagine for testing things like noodle springiness and, you know, bite and all that stuff. Anyway, he was teaching a course here in Portland and people were coming from all over the world, like, you know, Argentina, Nigeria, Korea, Japan, LA, um, because they were interested in improving the quality of their ramen noodles. And it was, you know, very industry focused thousand dollar course. And I convinced them to let me go in as a journalist. So I snuck Amazing. in for free. That's a great hack. <laughs> said, yeah, I recommend it all the time, by the way, journalist or no. <laughs> um, so they let me uh, audit the class for free. I made my first instant noodles, which I didn't even know you could do. Um, and I oh, learned mean, like, all you, about – Oh,
1: you made, you prepared your own
2: hand, version of instant hand noodles hand that
1: you can – That is crazy. I
2: also did not know that that was a thing that existed. Yeah. I learned so much about noodles and I was so into it. And I wrote an article about it and I said, you know, like, so we grow a lot of wheat in the Western United States, in Oregon, in Washington, Montana, Idaho, and we export an unbelievable amount of it to Japan. um, To our, Our biggest export destination for Oregon, you know, exports is japan and portland is actually the largest wheat and barley export gate in the nation wheat is just like pouring through portland on its way over to asia and so i was like wow, so wild here i am in a place that's growing the very wheat for the noodles i want but it's all getting sent to japan and then i want noodles that good i have to buy imported noodles that are coming back (laughs) from japan just bananas you know and i thought gosh somebody somebody should really make a noodle here using grains from you know us that is a fresh noodle that's as good as a japanese noodle because i want to buy it i want to eat it and so i end my article being like somebody should do this it's a really good idea (laughs) (laughs) like waited for for someone to do that you know like was like, well, who's going to do that? I'm sure. I was just sure that someone would recognize what a good idea it was, and then um, kept working at that. Highly really interested in the regional grain economy, um, did a lot of work there, and over time was like, maybe I'm the one who's going to do that. <laughs> maybe it's me. And so, after being at a job for like eight years, it felt like I was ready for something new, um, and I decided to try to do this. And so I found a um, partner, a small business lawyer, one of my really good friends to help me and kind of left my previous job and decided to try, to try this.
1: So, um, so w- since then, oh, sorry, yeah, I didn't mean to at any point. No, 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 no. I was just saying that that's uh, just, I'm, I think you're probably carrying on to this, but like, I'm curious about, um, like how the startup capital came to be and like, you know how how do you manage to get this off the ground? Because obviously you had a, a amazing idea, and you're like, I see the market for this. I see like the pipeline for this, which is actually another level that I didn't know about when, um, in your conception of this idea. That you kind of had that insight into the into the um, production pipeline. But um, but then what? Like, how did you actually like go from the idea to it being a real like a real thing that you can buy in stores?
2: Yeah. Well, I will say that. Um... I still feel like the question of capital is looming over me at all times. So (laughs) fair enough, fair enough. I haven't solved that one yet. But um, so the first thing that made this really possible for me is that I found a partner who owned a noodle uh, manufacturing facility, and um, they had a lot of the machinery I would need. And they, there's no one doing organic noodles that I know of in the Northwest. Um, And I was said I'm willing to do, you know. The marketing the sales the sourcing help you go through organic certification all of that and so this really wonderful person named michael Mai agreed to help me um with production so that was like the thing that made this possible honestly is that i didn't need an insane amount of capital to set up a production facility um and you know in the lingo of of my industry that they're called a co-packer. Um, and I think people can have different kinds of relationships with those people. I happen to have a really close one with this one. Um, we have an office next door and we work really closely and we overlap in a lot of ways, but I think that was the biggest piece was that I didn't need to take out a huge loan, um, in order to buy machinery and rent space and all Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the second piece is that I was willing to work for free. Um, (laughs) so (laughs) So I had some savings. I have a fortunate situation where I live in the house I grew up in. Um, When I decided to leave my job, my boyfriend got a much better job. And so we kind of cycled in and out of who was going to be a little bit of the breadwinner um, for a period of time. And I just like cultivated side hustles as hard as I could. So, you know, what else could I do to bring in some income while I explored this? Um, so, you know, with some of my money and a little bit of, you know, family money, and then we did a Kiva loan, which is a pretty awesome thing. Um, it I allows you to get lend, a 10 10-
1: lent to Kiva loans before.
2: Um, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty, it's like micro lending platform, basically. Micro lending With zero interest. Yeah. Um, so got a Kiva loan and then won a competition for 10 grand. And so we're just like floating by right now. It is a slow growth uh, model because you don't have a lot of cash. You can't make large leaps. Um, You have to fund your own growth, and it means that growth can be slow. Um, So that's kind of the situation that we're in, which is sort of okay by me because I feel like I'm putting myself through business school, and I have a really amazing woman working for us named Amanda Plyley, and she's brilliant, but – I both didn't have a ton of background in this particular area. So I feel like we're both kind of going through business school. And so having things grow somewhat slowly um, gives us room to make mistakes and correct them and learn from them. So it is a good model for where we are. It also is frightening because um, sometimes if you do have a good idea, and TBD if this one is, you cultivate the market, you do a lot of work, you can't grow quickly so you don't, and then someone with a lot more money can come in and take advantage of that's kind of i think the um, the risk of doing it the way that we're doing it but i i am not obviously risk averse because i did a startup business and (laughs) i'm like struggling my way through it in the best kind of way but i'm not like totally interested in um just like taking out an enormous loan and risking my home which isn't even mine um and putting it on the line to see, you know, all for the noodles. So so that's a sacrifice that I make. It's a risk that I'm taking.
0: Yeah, so so you're, so that I understand. So you're up and running. What products are you currently, um, do you have production for?
2: Yeah, for sure. So we do um, a fresh organic ramen noodle made with some local whole grain barley flour. And we sell it in grocery, like maybe 60 plus grocery stores in Oregon and Washington. It's just a single skew. Um, We've been trying to expand to some others in the grocery store. And I can tell you guys about that. It's been a challenge, Um, but a good challenge. And then we have food service products. So we sell bulk noodles to restaurants and, you know, school cafeterias, things like that. Um, And then we have uh, income stream through... um, the farmer's market, which is pretty robust in Portland. Um, A lot of customers. I imagine so. So, and then at the farmer's market, I think of the farmer's market as an extension of our R and D. So we try out products there all the time. We try out new products and I try to figure out the pricing, um, what people are willing to pay for them, what people like. So we sell a lot of different products at the farmer's market. We've done lots of different sauces, broth bases, um, pickles, um, dumplings, yeah, just playing around there.
0: So, how do you balance your time? Well, I have a couple of questions. Uh, one is how yeah. how do you balance your time between all the business uh, considerations that you have to to think about, including marketing and and reaching out, and versus product development versus uh, the sourcing of all your of all your you know raw material. How do you balance that out? And then my you know my other question is, what do you do when you're overwhelmed? With the whole thing. And it feels like <laughs> it's a sinking ship that you regret ever being involved. You regret knowing what a noodle is. What do you do then?
2: Yeah. yeah. For sure. Um, I would say that um the business pieces that have to be done um take precedent and and that can be that can be a, a bummer because it means that long term big vision stuff. Gets put pushed to the side. Um, so I'm glad we created the farmers market as a way to do R&D, but I wish we could put a lot more time and energy into R&D. But so much of my time just gets spent um, managing the day to day, and so it can be it can be difficult to create the space to um, really put in the time for what you're trying to build for the future. Um, so you know, in a given week, I'm spending and I think this is a classic entrepreneur story, but I'm spending some time doing, um, bookkeeping, um, more time than I expected I would be. <laughs> um, and then, you know, for a while we were doing a lot of our own demos, which is a hugely time consuming thing. Um, I'm doing some prep for the farmer's market and then I'm trying to set aside time to do like long-term, um, you know, sales predictions and trying to cultivate, different partners for other production and kind of trying to manage our cash flow. And so things come in waves. Like if I get a lot of energy about one topic, I'll try to pour as much energy into it as I can. So rather than like, I don't have a weekly R and D time, um, or like a weekly schedule, like I'm just going to look at, you know, ways of doing like helping finance this business. It's I kind of like do what it like-
1: part of it is calling to you today versus, um, yeah.
2: another day. Yeah. Like, how deep can I go? Um, and when I get truly overwhelmed, I just stop working and I go do something totally different. <laughs> like, um, I feel wa- like walking is my very good friend. Mm-hmm. Long walks. Um, and, um, like, weekends, like, t- putting around on my friend's motorboat. That's my other really good friend. Oh, um, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> There's like escape, a little bit of escape. Um, I think it is amazing how the brain will work when you don't put your brain to something and help you solve problems. Um, if you stop thinking about something in the, you know. Which is sometimes the so most-
1: hard though, like when you're in the middle of it, like I, I it's very hard to like unplug, but, but definitely the long walks thing I think is like critical. It's just like some physical activity.
2: I have my cost of goods, and that's kind of the only thing I have control over, right? Like, I can't control what the distributor takes. I can't control what the grocer takes. So the only way I can reduce my own cost, the market, unless I was really powerful and I could, you know, convince the grocer to take less, mm-hmm. which I can't. Is it to just, take less yourself? Is to take Or to take less myself, right? But then I might just go out of business, <laughs> is squeeze uh, to squeeze... My cost of goods as small as it can be, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a reason that people often end up, you know, trying to pay farmers as little as possible, right? Like looking for the cheapest um, uh, suppliers for different things, because that's their that's their one lever. Um, And I and I do feel like you know we have a food economy based on not paying farmers adequately um and that's that's part of the reason so uh
0: i I want to ask a question about this specifically um so when you're saying about your cost of goods do you are you sourcing from farmers individual farmers
2: um combo uh okay i'm getting some of my flour from a distributor and some of it directly from farmers
0: okay and is that distributor share with you where they're sourcing their product
2: in my case, yes. Okay. Um, okay. yeah, I specifically chose a um a, a flour source that was transparent to me, but it's not often that way, you know. Or oh, i for sure. Yeah, yeah. I have. Um, I use some gluten in my noodles. Um, I know how much everyone loves gluten, so <laughs> we. <laughs> <laughs> use added gluten um uh and i source that through um a channel and i don't know where that comes from i mean it's certified organic but i'm not sure that that one's a mystery um Mm -hmm. and so there is lots of stuff like that and i think we have prioritized with those main um with barley and with wheat that we know the source but um you know, how large, like, will that always be available to us if we continue to grow? Possibly, if we're able to kind of champion that. You know, um, this,
0: this really brings up an important, uh, like an interesting concept. Um, and as you mentioned, the the Northwest is particularly good in this country, uh, if there's any part in this country that's good at it, at, at local sourcing. Um, even the Portland uh, public schools, I know, do a really good job of sourcing local, organic, yep. fresh food. Um but you know, to your point, that packaging and that uh, you know, getting finding someone who's able to put all of those pieces together in a package that is affordable to you—that is still a hurdle, right? So we've, oh, we've sure we've just now started across the country to to put some effort into local, sort of not only just a farmer's market local, but as your company sort of illustrates, sort of a regional company that's doing packaged interesting good food that you can buy mm-hmm. the off the shelf in the, in the grocery store but it's still you're still having these challenges of actually getting it produced mm-hmm. and i know that there's a nonprofit in in new york that's sort of trying to work at this sort of thing where it's like how do we now get to a point where uh the production can also be done on a local scale that's affordable for people who are like yourself who have small food companies and also like small am i making sense like a small production facility
2: yeah no i yeah you're spot on that like the, the the way the market is built right now is that if you're small you have to be like hyper artisan i think yeah um and then or you're large and to be somewhere in between you need a whole lot of capital um and where's that going to come from you know um because it's it's just built i, I mean i I can't print less than 5,000 boxes. Um, Right. And some of those kinds of discoveries have been like, oh my gosh. And then every time I want to print a box, I have to go through this crazy rigmarole um, (laughs) and submit it to a million different people. And it's just there's so little uh, flexibility in the system for people who are small.
0: So when when someone walks into a grocery store and they see your product or they see products like yours and by that i mean a small you know sort of regionally uh sourced um either packaged ingredient or, or or product like yours um or something that's even fresh like what would you hope and and to your point that Pricing needs to dictate you know of as you've outlined for us how pricing works i e being the distributor and the uh, and the grocery store and everyone needing to get their cut so that you have to be priced at a certain place what would you hope that people remember and what I mean by that is like you know you go to the grocery store and I know I go to the grocery store and i'm gonna buy the thing that's the most affordable, especially when i'm comparing it to the things that are on the shelf but what should I really be thinking about when I'm looking at that shelf of, of ramen noodles, of of you know, ingredients? What would you hope that people would would think about next time they're at the grocery store?
2: Yeah, I love that question. I also want you to know that you're cutting in and out a little bit. Okay. if okay. I answer not the question you asked. <laughs> we
1: we'll cut you we'll cut you <laughs> then, off and let you yeah. and correct you.
2: <laughs> okay, great. Thanks. Um so this is what you're talking about brings up a larger topic that I think is a really interesting and important one. Um, so I'm gonna jump off topic a little bit and then come back to it. Beautiful. and that's this, this I, there's this um larger question about equity and equity within the food system that is a really important conversation that a lot of people are having um, without and a lot of people have ideas for solutions, but you know there's the the challenge of how can we make sure that, food is affordable for people right and and price is a really big deal a lot of people don't have the money to spend on um, food that's expensive and or or what we might consider to be expensive right um, and then on the other side of that there is you know what are we paying to farm workers what are we paying to farmers is there equity on that side of the food system right so that's one long continuous chain from one to the other and I think we spend more time and I don't I do think this is very important but thinking about you know okay is you know and is this food elite or not and you know being very concerned about making sure that food can be affordable for people Um, but then on the other side of that you know I'm a small company and I'm making choices to pay farmers um, what I hope is a living wage and buying organic ingredients because, in a sense, that actually allows that farmer to make more for their for their efforts mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and pass that on to their farm workers or you know in, in their choices on the land. And so I'm trying to support farmers in my region um, so that they can continue doing what they do, which is so important. Um, and translates as a higher price on the shelf um and and so that 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 larger view of what it looks like I feel like I don't want to put my foot in my mouth too much um, but there you know there are people who have the money to buy food from um producers like me um and you know they 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 still try to buy the cheapest possible thing, um, and you know that those that decision is not going to support. It's not going to support people like me, and I'm not going to be able to support, you know, regional farmers. Um, and so I I feel like, you know, hyper price sensitivity. I, I, let me think about how I want to talk about this. <laughs> I, I want to like if you see a product on the shelf that's being made locally, um, first of all. If you're interested in it, if it's something that you found to be delicious, because that's number one, right? Don't you buy things because they're good? Mm -hmm. You might uh, spend the time to look them up, find out about them. You know, I'm at farmer's markets every week or at grocery stores doing demos, or at events. You can actually meet me (laughs) and talk to me and learn about what we're up to. Um, So that's a a benefit of having local companies um, who work around you and then it's like that, that sort of interpersonal interpersonal connection like a direct connection truly and then you know i think the the bigger thing i'm trying to get at is that when you when a company has insane scale they can make things falsely cheap they can make things so cheap sometimes i just can't understand how in the world anyone is getting paid along the supply chain for those products you know right and it it, it's it's baffling that um anyone could be making a good living at some of the prices of some of the food um and so sometimes when you pay more for food it is an investment in your local community
1: Yeah, it's a little bit of like an activism through purchasing power type of thing. And it kind of reminds me, although this is a totally like not actually related, but it kind of reminds me a little bit of the recent storm and stress in New York about um, like salon workers. And there was a big expose recently about, you know, that like I can't believe we've all been just basically paying $4 for a manicure all this time and at the expense of of essentially um, supporting a slave labor culture. I'm um, right. not even exaggerating but um, and and to realize that uh, the pricing that you're paying for something has implications on the rest of the, that supply chain of, of in and in in the case of the salon workers it's very directly like what if you're paying $4 for this manicure what do you think that this woman who just spent an hour like scrubbing your feet as getting paid and the answer is nothing um, and sort of thinking about that and, and that was something that I came to in a really harsh way of being like okay well I'm like I don't make a lot of money so it's fine I can I can you know I deserve to pay less for, you know what I mean but but kind of uh, I had a, that sort of come to Jesus moment around that industry where I was like oh yeah, I do have to think about what I pay and what the implications are of what I pay on um, the people who are providing that service in whatever industry it may be, whether it's the food industry or which, it, quite frankly, has quite a lot more stops on the supply um, chain than than something like literally someone who's who's there providing that service directly.
2: Yeah, totally. And like, I think that we look at high price items and we think like, maybe that's kind of, maybe people don't think this, but I was hinting at this earlier, like maybe they're just being greedy. (laughs) Maybe they priced it that way because they just want to make a lot of money, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. What are the costs of a small business? What does it really cost to be, it's expensive to be small.
0: Right. I mean, you look at, you, you know, I can I, I, can only speak for myself, but I look at something, a product on the shelf, I'm like, oh, look at that marketing, look at that like fancy package, you know, all of these things. But it's really, it's, imp- and it's important to remember that the government has policies in place that subsidize certain parts of our agricultural economy. So when things are cheap, it's not because, it's not always because a large industry figured out how to make it cheap. Uh, it's oftentimes because the government artificially makes it cheap through their policies and that's just that's just the fact for corn for milk for for even wheat yeah. for like a lot of a lot of things and that's important for us to remember when we're looking at smaller uh, companies that are that are that are producing better food that uh, yeah. that is represented in a price point that is higher. so to Umbretta's point well, about like you know about you know kind of, putting your money where your mouth is that that's something that i you know i'm sort of speaking to myself when i'm speaking about when i'm you know there are products i pull off the shelf that i want to buy and then they might be a dollar or two more expensive than i'm tell myself i'm willing to to do um but you know what would what would it mean if all of us who did that actually decided to purchase those local ingredients um you know much like you know it's just like what would that mean that would that mean for for people like you, small suppliers who were then able what I have to remember, I guess is what I'm saying is that a small supplier who sells sells a lot becomes a medium supplier. A medium supplier who sells a lot becomes a big supplier. And if you have someone whose philosophy is matches with your own and then you match that with the dollars that you're willing to spend, eventually, You could get to a better price point if all of us just bought the damn product.
2: (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly.
1: I've really enjoyed over the years hearing about um, some of your, your mushroom adventures. And I wonder if you might like like tell like because Andrew doesn't know anything about this I just feel like some there's some really interesting things about the culture around mushroom people and mushroom hunters um that most people probably don't know about
2: yeah sure well I was gonna say at the beginning I was talking about how I like to walk or like boat or whatever but I my very favorite thing of all is to go mushroom hunting um (laughs) because you're like in the forest and so there's the best the first best thing and then you're like looking for my favorite mushrooms to hunt are chanterelles and um hedgehogs because i'm not that advanced as a hunter and also because they're like a beautiful color and so they like kind of glimmer on the forest floor and you're like chasing after them one after another it's it feels like being in a video game like the best possible video yeah you're like a
1: little zelda person like running through and like i've never heard a more
0: portland oregon thing said in my life (laughs)
2: okay so anyway at some point um i met this woman named amy peterson who i love she's a security guard at costco um and she's also second generation japanese american and um she is loves to go matsutake hunting and matsutakes are very valuable mushrooms in japan they say they they smell like um cinnamon and stinky feet or whatever mm, and yes they you know <laughs> you're like oh yeah <laughs> so it's like it's you know matsutake hunting is sort of next i think it's next level mushroom hunting because often they don't even appear above ground you're just like looking for these little tufts and everything in the forest looks like that to me so um So you have to use your sense of smell and also your memory about where they grow and what plants they have relationships with. And so I love to go hunting with Amy because she's like this older woman. She's always wearing whatever free shirt she got from Costco. That's the brightest color that she can find. So like Reese's peanut butter cup t-shirt or sweatshirt, you know, or um, Snickers or something. And then she just like, she's this tiny old woman and she just like races through the forest and I like to chase after her. Um, and but he, like, in that instance, the pleasure is actually just being with her and chasing after her. And I've gone with her every year for a long time now. And if she's not there, I just don't even think I would know what to do about like what to do myself, um, because I still can't find Matsutake very
1: well. <laughs> well, and I also, I'm like really interested in how like territorial and, and, you know, yeah. I know, odd, I guess, some of those of those folks that are about like this is my domain and it's sort of um it's sort of a closed circuit community.
2: I yes and no. Like I found people to be more open than I expected them to be. But if you were just to go to the farmers market and be like, hey, where did you get those? They would be like, I'm never telling you. You know <laughs> <laughs> Amy Amy has this funny story where like she was taught how to Matsutake hunt by this awesome guy named Niki Shimada. Um and but and he's from a generation of there used to be way more Matsutakes up on Mount Hood um, but there are others of his generation and she says like one of them like on his deathbed she's like tell me where your matsutake spot is and he was like I'll never tell you (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it to the grave (laughs) and this other woman was like on her deathbed it was like mile post 35
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay Last question. Yeah. Last question cuz I know it's it's late. Um because it was promised that we were going to talk about Prince, I feel that we should really talk about Prince for just a minute.
2: Yeah. I was just going to say that Amrita, I haven't seen you since he died. I, I know. It was a really
1: it was a hard day.
2: It yeah. I hard feel like we like we need to have like a morning period together and do some karaoke. Yes. Um like Prince is my favorite karaoke because it's all impossible. Impossible.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. it's, impossible. <laughs> it's impossible. So
2: like true. My favorite, my favorite to try to do is that song, The Beautiful Ones. Mm-hmm. You know that one? Yep. Um, and he, he says baby like a thousand times, but every time <laughs> it's like said differently and with so much intensity and passion. And I want to <laughs> say, when I try to do it, it does not turn out well. <laughs> I haven't even witnessed this, and I'm like, I can't wait to to witness this. It's amazing. I love that song so much. I I love Prince. Um, yeah, yeah, this was an it's- early bonding point for us,
1: and and I guess you should know that we're all among friends here. Andrew has has basically w- worshipped Prince um, for his entire life, and yeah. in fact, exactly. keeps a framed photograph of Prince. This is maybe not a widely known fact. A framed photograph of Prince on his bedside table, like always,
0: always. Um, Years and years I've had
2: it. I want to see you karaoke. I think the three of us need to um, sing some Prince to each other. Yes. Um,
1: Oh, that would make me, nothing would make me happier.
2: Julie.
0: Well, Lola, I don't want to keep you any longer. I could ask you hours and hours of questions around uh, the business and food and your thoughts on all of it. Um,
1: And hopefully we will get a chance to do so next time either we're in Portland or you're here, which will hopefully happen this year.
2: Totally. Yeah, no, let's you and I just do that together. Yeah.
1: (laughs)
0: But I do want to encourage everyone next time you're in the grocery store and you see you see some good ramen or you see a box of something that is local and you think I'm not going to pay an extra dollar. I just want you to think again Think
1: about Lola and just think about, think about it. Lola. No, but also before, before we sign off, also, I want to get on the record. Um, how can people find you? What's your, what's your social media stuff? And your, I know you have some, some stuff associated with Umi. So please um, put that out there.
2: Yeah. Thank you, Andrew. And um, so you can um, follow us on Instagram at Umi organic. And then That's we UMI have, UMI organic. Exactly. Um, and then if you're in Oregon or Washington, you can buy our products at a lot of grocery stores. So head to our website, which is www.umiorganic.com. and there's a map of all the stores where you can find the noodles. Um, and I, I am being sincere when I when I say if you buy the noodles and you make them, you should write me personally and tell me how it turned out. <laughs> Like I want to know how it was, how cooking it was, what she made. Um, always curious about that. So yeah, umiorganic.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank
0: you so much. Happy exactly. ramen making.
2: Thank you. <laughs> Happy podcasting. Thanks.
1: Bye. Bye. And as always, you can find us on our website or on Instagram at VJ and Stevens, V-I-J-A-Y and Stevens with a P-H. Till next time.